Good morning. We're going to turn to Job again, uh, except this time it's chapter 42 with a few backtrackings along the way. Uh, I didn't realize it when I went back through the last, I had done, this makes the seventh message on the sovereignty of God. And I didn't realize that. I thought maybe three, maybe four, until I started counting and all of a sudden I realized there were seven of them now. And today we're going to go with the sovereignty of God and our response. And it's Job chapter 42. Uh, and we all know the first six verses there, or we've heard of the first six verses. But as I've studied this book, I've come to the conclusion that this book is not about the suffering of Job. This book is about the sovereignty of God, his wisdom and his ways. And they are so much beyond ours, we can't even comprehend those those things. Uh, Micah 6.8 talks about walking humbly with your God. Love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with your God. And so this morning we're going to go to that. Uh, we'll, we'll get to chapter 6, I mean chapter 42 after a little bit. But one of the things I want to go back to is if you read this book, and you just read straight through it, it reminds you of a courtroom. You have Satan, the accuser. You have three witnesses, Job's three friends. You have the defendant, Job. And then you have God, the silent judge. There's not a word from God in between chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, and the beginning of chapter 38. Nothing. God is totally silent. And if you ever go, have sat in a courtroom and, and watched, very rarely does the judge say anything in the process. There's almost nothing from his mouth. He is usually the silent listener. And I noticed, I don't know if it was Friday's paper, I think it was, that the young man that's accused of killing the police officer in uh, Del Mar, he has chosen to do a judicial trial instead of a jury trial. And I think if I was in his situation, I probably would have too. Because people don't take too kindly to people who call, kill law officers. So, but I noticed that. This here is basically the same thing. There's no jury here. Absolutely no jury in these 36 chapters. The thing I noticed in the very beginning is God, both times, both questions that came to, to Satan... God initiated the question. 
And both times he said, my servant Job. So there's something special about Job because God calls him my servant. And in that process of calling him my servant, it shows God's confidence. Actually, one commentator said, commentator said confidence. I said, no, it shows God's sovereignty. God knew Job wasn't going to crack. God had his confidence in Job that he would hang on to his integrity regardless. And this is the part that gives me so much confidence in our God. Satan had so much confidence that Job would crack. He said, if you get rid of everything he owns, you get rid of everything he has, you get rid of his health, he will crack. And it's the absolute scene of Satan not knowing everything. He did not know what God knew. And that's what gives me so much hope and so much faith in my God because he knows everything and Satan doesn't. The other thing I brought up earlier is one of the things this shows is that when there's a temptation comes to you or a trial, whatever you want to call it, it first went by the throne of God. God okayed that temptation or trial to come your way. Satan didn't just bring it and throw it at you. God first gave permission for it to go. And in, in 1 Corinthians, he says he has made a way of escape to avoid those, trans, those uh, temptations or trials. But Satan's confidence, he was so confident. He said, in chapter 2, he says, skin for skin. And Job didn't crack. So there's the courtroom setting. God is the judge on one side, Satan is the accuser, and you have then, in chapter 2, these three friends show up. Uh... And Job at one point says, basically, you guys are a worthless bunch of bums. You're coming in here trying to help me out, and all you're doing is making matters worse. Seth. All he's saying is, See, you guys made it worse. You didn't make it any better. And, of course, they go into their long thing and I had to I had to grin when I was uh, reading him again the last couple weeks Eliphaz and the Bible doesn't say how how they fit in age and it doesn't really matter but uh, we sort of think that Eliphaz was the oldest because he was first and then Bildad and then Zophar and Eliphaz was very rigid he had little room for grace he was right down the line. This is what you did, and there's, you know, he had little room for grace. Bildad, he comes across very, very legalistic. Uh, he has his reasons. And Zophar comes across as the know-it-all. He says, I think, three times, he says, knowing this. And if you think about it, he only talks twice and it sort of gives you the impression that he only talked twice because he said it's worthless talking the third time 
This guy's not going to listen anyhow, so why bother? So he just talks twice and then he shuts up. And that's the scene you come through. Job is going through this. God is silent. Everybody else is talking. And Job is trying to understand God. Actually, Job is going a little beyond that. Job is calling, basically, he is judge and jury over God. He wants to say to God, why don't you talk to me? And God is saying, Nothing. It reminded me very much of when our Lord went to the cross. He went silent. There was many a time when questions were asked during that crucifixion, trial and crucifixion. He never said a word. He was totally silent. And Isaiah says that in chapter 53. As a sheep went to the slaughter, he didn't say a word. So Job is trying to understand God, and he cannot come to a conclusion. And then we come to chapter 38. And chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, if you want to talk about the greatness of God, that's where you go. There is no other place that is as long a section in Scripture that talks about the greatness of God. Isaiah talks about it in chapter 40. A little bit. He has, I think, six or eight or ten verses, something like that. He doesn't have very many. But here in chapter, in Job chapter 38, God says to Job, we're going to just turn to that one. I want to start it right. He says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, What's your definition of a whirlwind? Elijah had a whirlwind. It was strong enough to break the rocks. And all Elijah said, after it was all over, he stood at the, door, at, the, at the entrance to the cave and listened. And in a small, soft whisper, God talked to him. Not a word. We don't know what he said. It's not there. What did God do here? Was it a tornado went through and ripped everything to part? Was it a hurricane, a, a Category 5 hurricane? Whatever it was, it was a whirlwind. And he said, God says to Job, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. And then he goes into it. Where were you? And you can go through these next four chapters. And you can pick out what's there for this and for that and for the next thing. I find it interesting that there are so many places where God said, this is what happened and this is what happened. And he didn't, doesn't clarify it, he just says it happened. One of the things he says and I thought about this with global warming. They're talking about the water rising. God says here, I told the water you can go so far, and that's as far as you're going to go. So the water rising at the beach is only going to go so far because God said it's only going to go so far. Man can say what they want to, how far they think it's going. But things are under God's control. He said it's going to go so far. He says to Job, where were you at? 
do you know where I store the, the snow? And of course, uh, in modern days, we know how snow is formed. He says to Job, where was the hail? Do you know where the store, storehouses are for the hail? What about lightning? Where, do you, where does it come from? And in a number of places, he says, I direct it. It goes on my command. And Job is sitting and listening for the next four chapters. None of the three friends or the fourth one, Elihu, say a word. Nothing is said by any of them. For the next four chapters, Job makes one comment in there somewhere. I'm not quite sure where it's at. But he makes one comment, and uh, it's chapter 40, verse 3. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord said unto Job, Out of the whirlwind. And here he comes again with his whirlwind. And for the, for the rest of those chapters, Job gets a lesson in the majesty and the holiness of God. He gets, he doesn't have answers for it. Uh, and if you notice, God specifically asked a very pointed question. He didn't beat around the bush, he just, boom, this is the question. And we try to give answers. How many times has something happened and we tried to give an answer for it? And in the situation facing us, facing God, we have no answers. Literally no answers. Isaiah chapter 40 uh, talks about how insignificant man really is. He talks about the nations being as the dust in a bucket. They're nothing. So if a nation is nothing, where does that put me and you? In God's plan, how are we connected in that? So we'll go to chapter 42. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understand not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of, thy, of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's confession to a sovereign God. Job admitted after those last four chapters, Job admits, I don't know. I really don't know. And he also admits that God you can do whatever you want to do. 
your power is limitless. Uh, you don't have anybody that's even a rival to you. You can do whatever. And he confronts, sorry about that. Along with that, there's the confrontation between our desires and God's. And one of those desires that came through in the first 36 chapters was Job's desire for control. He wanted control of his situation. And how often do I find myself wanting control of a situation? I don't want somebody else to be in control. Some people like to be self-employed because then they can control everything. And one thing I learned way years ago when I was self-employed and you do service work, you are not self-employed. Every last customer you talk to is your boss, whether you like it or not. They will tell you what's happening. And if they like you, they may refer you. But if they don't like you, they will let you know that too. It's just like working for somebody else. The boss is always right, even though he isn't. It's like customers. Customers are always right. But no, they're not. But you can't tell them that. You like to be in control. It's everything. We like to be in control of our homes, our situations, our families, our friends. And then here in Job, he wanted to be in control. And life still fell apart. It completely fell apart. When you think about it, Job sat on the dust heap. The ash heap at the edge of town, scraping his sores. He was about as low as he could get. And here he finally comes to recognize the sovereignty of God. He also realized that you can't demand answers from God. I think you probably can demand them but your chances of getting them are probably not very good because God's going to give you the answer when he's ready to give you the answer. And Job, in a number of places, says, I'd like to have a meeting with God. In that courtroom, he had a meeting with God, except God was silent. God wouldn't talk to him. And we become as clay in the potter's hands. God is sovereign. And God does what he wants to do. And he takes your life and he molds it to what he wants it to be. If you're willing. I was reading a, one commentator and he said, I sat down. And I was determined I was going to preach through the book of Job, chapter by chapter. 
And he said, in doing so, I told my wife, there's going to be trials. Because you can't take the book of Job piece by piece and not expect something to happen. He didn't go into the details of what happened, but he said, there were some pretty rough times till I got through the book of Job. And when I got to the end, he said, I was very much where Job was. I repent in dust and ashes. In verses 3 and 4, Job basically quotes God. Uh, he says, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? And therefore I have uttered what I understand not. This is Job beyond that, beyond that uh, quote. Uh, Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. Job is quoting God, and uh, the, the very statement God made to him, Job is saying, you know, God, you're right. I don't understand this. It's beyond me. And then he gets to verse 5, and this is the verse that... Uh, I think is very good for us today. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear. We have all heard the gospel. We have all heard Bible stories. We have all heard. But he ends that verse, but now I see. And that's the important part. Job had heard, and we don't know what he heard. He didn't say. Uh, did he hear about the flood? Did he hear about whatever? He didn't say. He just said, I have heard. But now I see. Now I see what you are trying to teach me. And in that, he confesses his pride. I am dust and ashes. If you go back to Genesis chapter 18, Abraham said, uh, and I think this is when he was trying to save Sodom and Gomorrah, he said to the Lord, but I am ashes. Uh, in, uh, I think he might have also said, I'm dust and ashes but the return of where we came from. In, I think it's Genesis chapter two, after the fall, God said to Adam, he said, you were taken from dust and to dust you will return. So Job apparently knew some of that. He confessed his pride. He recognized his weakness. And it's one of the things we need to do. We need to recognize our weaknesses. God is all-powerful. We need to recognize that weakness, that I am not God. I cannot do what God does. And so, insignificant us, and this is the incredible part about the grace of God, as insignificant as we are, you have John 3, 6. For God so loved the world, for God so loved me, 
that he gave his only begotten son. As insignificant as we are in the world and to God, yet in all of that, he gave his son for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it's not us. Job recognized that as he went through the, the thing of the first 30, 36 chapters and then the last four, Job recognized from one being a sinner and his pride and his determination to be what he wanted to be and how he confronted God to the servant, the man who found God. And it's by grace. It's the only way we have access to a holy father is by grace. And that grace makes us significant in the presence of an almighty God. Thank you, Lord, for today. And thank you for the lessons we can learn from the book of Job. We just ask that you would give us wisdom to know where we're at in our response to you. And Lord, most of all, that we would be willing to humble ourselves to walk with you, knowing that it is by the blood of Jesus Christ and through the grace you've given us that we are saved, that we have eternal life, and we have life more abundantly here on earth. Thank you again for your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.